Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for those who have come in personally, and welcome to all of you who are dialed in on the webinar. We've got David and Kate here to present our half year to 31 October. I'll start briefly setting some of the scene and then I'll hand over to Kate. So just on the first page of our presentation, I'm going to just mention when we presented the full year last July, we talked about working um, in a very focused way on levers for organic growth, which we've been doing. I think these results, we're starting to see the early signs of evidence of our return to organic growth that we've been very much focused on. And I'll leave Kate to talk in detail when she particularly looks at the revenue bridge. We've also seen improvements to our bottom line, which again, I'll leave Kate to go into detail on the profit bridge. Obviously, that's been enhanced by bank interest, and I'll leave Kate to explain more about that. I'm going to briefly talk about the resilience of our business through diversity of what we do. I'll also talk after Kate around further organic growth through more business with existing clients, more clients, and the hiring and our churn rates too, as well as touching on our acquisition strategy. So just turning on to the next page, here looking at the resilience of our business, uh, you can see on the top left side there the nature of what we do. And 80% of the business in this period we're, we're talking about has been totally resilient to economic turbulence and downturn. The 20% is in two halves. We've definitely seen a headwind in the housing market, which is residential property and the integral business. So that comes to the 11% of revenue. And the corporate work, which is slip about 10% on M&A transactions of that 13 that's put on that pie chart, is definitely affected as well by headwinds of bank interest. So the bank interest that happened from October 22, 14 months ago, has impacted our business to the tune of 20% of the revenue in the housing market and in the M&A work that we do. Important areas to us, and it's 20% of our revenue. So we've seen in this period that we're reporting definitely an impact on the volumes in those two areas. The rest of the business has been incredibly resilient, particularly private wealth. In downturns, people focus much more on their uh, management of wealth and succession, inheritance tax, all those areas. We do a lot of work in the private wealth arena throughout the regions. That's really thrived. Dispute resolution has, regulatory work has, our specialist metal law business is really growing and thriving. So all the rest of the business is, is incredibly defensive and resilient, but those are the two areas. That's the negative bank interest uh, offset, obviously, by a big positive that Kate's going to talk about from the additional revenue that we have from client money interest. Just want to feature on a couple of things there on the right-hand side. What we've seen through this period, and we've seen it over the last two or three years, is just how evolved now and mature our management team have become. We've got 14 client service directors that have been in the business for at least three years. Some have been there for a lot longer. A real cohesive and now thriving management team that give us great confidence for scalability. They're doing a fantastic job. Uh, they report to myself and the COO and uh, they're really helping us achieve the cultural drive and leadership and cohesion and collaboration that we have in our business. And I think an easy, tangible evidence of what we see through a, such a strong management team is the debtor days. Our debtor days, which is the amount of time it takes for our invoices to be 
collected is 31, which is talking to the 73 days, which is the average number for the top 100 law firms confirmed by the PwC survey of November. It's the best survey of the top 100 law firms. It comes out every November, and that confirms 73 data days for the top 100 law firms. We're 31. We've been 30, 31, 32, every period we've reported. We've taken the business from 35 revenue when we listed to the current expected 155 revenue, and we haven't missed a, a beat on better days. And that's down to the management team to drive that culture of managing clients to make sure we get paid on that time scale. Very different to law firm. If you just took that difference of 42 days, we're market leaders on that cash collection. If you wanted to quantify that into pounds, it's about 19 million pounds more that we have in our bank account than an average law firm would have. And there's a big gap between us and law on that, which has come from the owner-managed nature of our business, but the culture and the leadership that we have through the management team. I just think it's a very tangible evidence of what we achieve. But really on that slide, I just wanted to show the scale and the diversity and the resilience. And I'll come back to more around people and churn and recruitment and acquisitions after Kate. Morning, everybody. So in terms of our results, just a very brief high-level review here and we'll talk in more detail as we get through and we've got various bridges which will help to visually explain what we've done but I think given what's going on in the wider macro environment there we're very pleased with our results for the year six percent growth in revenue for the year you know of which three percent is organic I'll give a lot more detail behind that when we look at the revenue bridge I think if you go back to you know as long as we've been listed and before that back to 2012 we've always looked to build a profitable cash generative growing business. And so I think our results for this year, again, go to support that. We've grown revenue. We've grown our underlying EBITDA by 25% in the year. As we've said, that is supported by the interest income that we've received. And I'll talk through that and the levers for that and how we see that moving in the future going forward. And whilst we've done that, we've grown the business. We've also maintained our lockup days of 93 days, which is how we measure that. As Dave has talked about, that's an improvement from 103 days at this time last year, generally towards year end. We target 90 days at year end each year for the last few years. We get there at the end of October, 93 days compared to 103 days. It's really pleasing. So we've maintained our focus on that strong financial management. And because of that, we continue to deliver good cash conversion, 69% at this half year compared to 57% for the previous half year, driven by that continual focus on our financial management. And that strong cash conversion gets us to a net debt position at the end of the half year of 38 million, which is about 1.3 times in terms of our bank leverage covenant. Given that we've renewed our facility during the year up to the 70 million, that gives us 32 million headroom to invest in the business going forward. And we'll talk about our capital allocation policy as we go through. On to the next slide, I'll just very briefly pick up a couple of points here and I'll talk through in more detail when we get to the bridges because it's easier to visualise there, I think. But you can see there the revenue is growing from 71 to 75.3 over the year. The, the only point I'll particularly pick up here is talking about sort of the gross margin. Gross margin during the year has slightly declined from the prior year and that's due to two factors really. Both of them are in terms of our investment in staff. Key factor is we've recruited an awful lot more people and David will talk about the recruitment markets and how that's turned. But in the last 12 months in total, we've recruited 35 partners into the business. Now, when those partners come in, as we've talked about previously, they take a good six to nine months before they become full run rate. And so for those first few months, you are investing in them. And so that does depress your margin ever so slightly. And then the other reason for that is 
the softening of the housing and M&A market. We've not, we've kept hold of those good people that we want to in those markets because those are cyclical changes, which we do see coming back. And so taking a long-term view of the business, we've kept those people you know, in place. We've not gone to part-time working because we see that coming back and that's our investment in those people for the future. Operational staff cost has gone up slightly as a percentage of revenue. We have taken steps to look at that. It is partly due to our investment in client service directors and again, the impact of that slightly softer revenue on there. But again, we've taken steps on that already. We're looking at where we can do in terms of our central resource, centralising that as much as possible and making sure that we're as efficient as we can. So we've already taken steps in terms of HR, bringing that centrally in terms of compliance, bringing that in centrally, which will realise savings, which we'll see partly in H2, which will support some of the H2 weighting. And then more importantly, we'll see going through into FY25 and beyond. But I'll talk through the details on the bridges a little bit more because it's just much easier to visualise as we go through. So if we look at the revenue bridge, first of all, we've grown the revenue there from 71.2 million to 75.3 million, partly because of acquisition income. So you can see the 0.6 increase there is the increase in the acquisitions that we did in FY23. That was Globe Consulting, Mead King and Coffee Mew. All of those fully integrated now on our systems, performing well, performing as we'd expected. Coffin New has had a slight softening. It did have a little bit of new homes work in there. So that, because of the macro environment, has fallen off slightly. But other than that, they're all performing exactly as expected to do. So performing well. HPL we sold in the prior year, so that's obviously had an impact because we've got no income from that this year. And then the two acquisitions that we've done this year, St. James's Square and Baines Wilson, integrated on our systems and performing exactly as we'd expect them to. And giving us a really good opportunity for future growth. We've already recruited into those offices and so that'll deliver future organic growth into H2 and HY25. The interesting point to look on there though is the organic growth. We've reported net organic growth of 2.1 million for the year which is 3.3 percent but if we split that down and look at the impacts as Dave has talked about on the housing business and the corporate M&A which is cyclical and impacted by the macro environment. If we pull that out that's actually had a negative impact on organic growth of 2.6 million Pulling that out are the rest of the business, all other sectors have grown by 4.7%, which would actually be organic growth of just over 9%, 9.5% of the year, which I think demonstrates the resilience of the rest of the business, demonstrates good growth and it demonstrates a good position in where we are there. A lot of that growth has come from, to come across the board really, but private wealth, dispute resolution, performing particularly well in that. And the majority of that growth has come from pricing, pricing that we've put up at the start of the year, and the continual work that we've done and we've talked about for a number of years on the recovery of our time, making sure that our fiona are quoting properly for the work that they're doing and being paid properly for the work that they're completing. And that's come through there. And we can see that coming through. So you can see we have had a negative impact by housing and the M&A market, but that will start to turn. We are seeing starts of particular housing and the number of instructions on housing starting to turn now. I think if you read in the press, the number of mortgages available and everything starting to increase. People are now used to the interest environment that we are in. And so I do feel that that will start to come back. And so as that starts to come back, that will alleviate the negative impact that it's had on organic growth. So in terms of H2, I would see that organic growth increasing in H2. And I sort of anticipate still, I think in terms of consensus, it's around about 5% for the year. And we still feel at the moment that that's fully achievable. Moving over now on to the underlying PBT bridge, 
and looking at the key drivers on that. You can see that the margin has increased from 12.6% to 15.4%. The big item obviously standing out on there is the 3.6 additional income that we've had from the interest. We talked about interest a lot last time. That's the client interest that we hold on behalf of clients. I think it's important to explain that that is transaction money that comes in. We don't hold it for a long period of time. People aren't holding it to earn interest with us. It's just the number of transactions that go through us. We end up with a larger balance there, which we can obviously attract higher rates of interest on. We do pay interest out to, to clients at the, an equivalent rate that they could earn on a instant access current account. But it still is a net benefit to us of 3.6 million additional income during this year. And we see that as real positive. If we are, and I know people will ask, obviously there will start to be a bit of a softening of interest rates at some point, but I do think generally they are here to say we are going to see interest income at some level going forward. In terms of the impact that that will have, I think for us, the interest going down will reduce our interest income, but it will alleviate the pressures that have been on the housing markets and the M&A market, so it should be offset by those increases there. Looking at the rest of margins and what we've done there you can see the increase in support staff costs we have already done work on that to start to leverage those costs and we expect to see those coming through in the next few months and into the next financial year property costs we are constantly reviewing those and we are taking actions to make sure that we're maximizing our use of all of our space and we are subleasing any excess space that we've got where possible to make sure that we're maximising those and leveraging those costs going forward. So we're starting to see some leveraging of those costs. We have seen as well in the first half of this year, the softening of the PI market, one of our biggest overhead costs is our PI. That has softened. And so in terms of a percentage of revenue, we've seen a saving in that, which we'll again start to see the benefit of in H2 and going forward into FY25. And also as a larger business, as we amalgamate all of these businesses that we come through, we amalgamate all of our contracts together and that gives us basically economies of scale. So we can see that going forward and leveraging. So in terms of margin and where we expect margin to be, H2 is always a higher margin than H1 because of the mixed business and we've made some cost savings there as well. And going forward, we're looking to leverage that margin and see it increasing to pre-COVID levels, but I would always say, let's do that gradually over a number of years. Let's not expect it all in one year. And once we get our marching back to pre-COVID levels, we see this level of interest that we see now as a normalised level of interest actually being additional income going forward. And so boosting our margin even further in future years. Key performance indicators. So the key performance indicators that we look at as a business um, as we've talked about, it's profitability and cash generation. And we've just demonstrated there the ones that we look at regularly. Gross margin, we've talked about that has declined slightly, but that's our short-term impact because of our investment in our staff. We do target around about 50%, but as we're growing and recruiting, that's always going to have a little bit of an impact on that. But we see that coming back, especially as the top line starts to recover from housing and M&A up towards the 50% level. Cash generation, Really pleased with where that is for the year 5.9 million generated in this half year. And I'll talk a lot more in detail about that on the next few slides. Fees per fee earner. We've worked, as we've talked about, on pricing and recovery of our time and concentrating on high quality work to make sure that we're sort of getting the most efficient use of our fee earners. It's not necessarily by them working harder, but by being more effective in how they're working and recovering more of the time they're doing. That's a really pleasing trend for us to see there. The numbers of fee earners, that has dropped slightly. 
the main reason for that decrease is there's been a reduction in some natural churn in our volume in mortgage business, which that churns naturally anyway. And so what we've done is just let that stay off whilst that, that remortgage market is soft and we'll recoup back into that when it starts to pick up again. So looking at our cash flows for the year, 5.9 million of underlying free cash flow during the year. If you look before tax paid, we've actually doubled our cash generated in the period compared to the same period last year, which I think is really pleasing. It's, you know, it's our growth in our profitability and our continued focus on our working capital and conversion of our whip and debtors into cash. Tax paid this year looks slightly high compared to last year. That's because last year was depressed slightly because of an overpayment of tax at the end of FY22. So it reduced what we needed to pay in the half year there, but nothing unusual in there. And again, that's showing good cash conversion of 69% compared to 57%. We expect that to increase in the second half of the year as normal. And there we've talked about just under 6 million of free cash flow for the year. On an annual basis, we'd expect that to be close to 20 million. And how we generate this cash, as Davis talked about, it's our focus on our working capital and our client service director's daily focus on our lockup. And it is a daily task, which we look at. We look at our whip schedules and our debtor schedules on a regular basis. We have done for the last, since 2012, as long as we've been with the business. And as you can see there, historically, we've always maintained a very similar level of lockup days. How we look at lockup and what our lockup is, just for anybody that's unaware, we basically count our lockup days as being the amount of time it takes to convert a unit of time being spent on the job to being cash in the job. And that's a breakdown of whip days, the amount of time that it takes before we bill our work, and debtor days, the amount of time it then takes to collect that cash. And as a business, internally, we target 60 whip days and 30 debtor days. When we calculate our lockup internally, we exclude any work done on clinical negligence work and insolvency work from our WIP calculation. And we do that because it does have a very different profile to the rest of our business and isn't in all of our offices. What we don't want to do is distract the majority of our business, 90% of our business, from working towards the 90-day target, which we do. So we exclude that from our calculations because it is a very different profile. But what we have done here, and you can see it on the orange line there, is we have included it. There's been some commentary about the fact that people can't compare our lockup to other people's in the market. So we have included it on the orange line. And you can see there that even including all of our work in progress, our lockup is 136 days at the end of October, which compares, again, still favourably with 142 days for the industry average as confirmed by the PwC market. That has grown slightly over the period. And that is all to do with the growth of our clinical negligence business. That is a very good, profitable, counter-cyclical business, but it does involve some extra work in progress in there because some of those cases take a few years to actually complete. So although it's grown that work in progress, we see that as a good, profitable, and it's worked for us in this period to be very counter-cyclical. But looking at what we do and looking at our 93 days that we've generated this year and how we do that and how that compares to the industry, I think the key factor that we'd put in there to point out is the debtor days which David's mentioned about we consistently at 31 33 days and that compares very favorably 42 days faster than the rest of the industry and we consistently do this and transform the lockup in our acquisitions I think which again sort of shows how we do this and how we are better than the industry as a whole these calculations which you can see on the right hand side of the schedule there show the lockup of the acquisitions that we do at the date of acquisition 
And then we show how we convert those and how we reduce those lockup days throughout the period of ownership. They're calculated on exactly the same basis. So it is a like-for-like comparison. You can see that we you know, reduce those lockup days quite considerably. And it's not rocket science. It is simply making sure that everybody realises they have to chase their bills. They have to phone up a client and chase the debtors. And we encourage them to bill on a regular basis, on a monthly basis if possible, putting long stop dates and making sure that they're billing regularly. So we're doing that. And I think that schedule in particular shows how good we are and how by coming under central management of client service directors helps us to deliver those really strong rock-up days. Looking at net debt and the impact that that has there, we've talked about this here. We've generated, as you can see there, just under 6 million of free cash flow during the period. We would expect that on an annualised basis to be circa 20 million, but there's always a first half waiting because of the timing of some of the payments, the tax, the dividends, RPI costs falls into the first half of the year, which does impact the first half of the year. That strong cash conversion gives us leverage. Our leverage at the end of October on a bank covenant basis is 1.3 times. That's improved from 1.6 times as at the end of October last year. So we've got plenty of headroom in terms of our leverage covenants and also in terms of our RCF. We've renewed our RCF facility to be 70 million during the year. It's given us 32 million of headroom going forward for us to use to invest in the business. And then just looking very briefly then at our priorities for the business in terms of our capital allocation. Key priorities, existing business is very cash generative. And so we'll continue to generate cash. We've talked about there, we'd expect around about 20 million of operating cash to be generated annually. Our then priorities to how to use that cash. Organic growth remains a key focus for us. Organic growth investment required there. We've talked about the need as we recruit people. We need to fund that the first six to nine months before they become fully regenerating. We continue to invest in our working environments to make sure that we're providing grade A quality workspace for people to come in and work. We see being in the offices as really important for us and really important to supporting and growing our businesses organically. So we want to provide a good basis for people to be in there and invest in the business technology as we go forward. We then Looking at selective acquisitions, we've got plenty of headroom, as you've seen in our facility, to invest in selective acquisitions as and when the right acquisitions come up. David, again, will talk about that. Acquisitions are very much driven by cultural fit and what fits within the business. We do want to grow the business both organically and acquisitively, but we will be very selective about how we grow that. And then finally, in terms of dividends, we do intend, as we have done, to pay a dividend and we have declared an interim dividend of 1.61 pence for the half year to give the return that investors are expecting. I'll hand over to David. Hey, thanks, Kate. So I'm going to talk about recruitment. I'll then talk about some client growth and then acquisitions briefly. On the recruitment, it's, I'll start with just talking about churn, so staff retention before we start adding with new hires. And we've seen if you compare us to a year ago, the first half last year was an unusual 11% churn. The job market became you know, very hot and it was a very different period for us. Our average churn, looking historically, was always sort of high single digit, 8 9%, talking to mid-teens in the top 100 confirmed by PwC surveys. So we have lower churn and we're back to that lower churn as confirmed by this half year reported of 6%. So anticipate churn going forward of being high single digit. And one of the biggest reasons for us to have lower churn than the sort of industry average for the top 100 firms is there's two things, really. First of all, in the regions, we've got 20 
office locations outside Manchester Birmingham Leeds. We're the dominant player often, or there's very little competition to the premium business that we've become. And that means that people want to work for the best business in their location. They don't want to move to then have big commutes. So you do the model by being strong in the regions brings churn down to high single digit. I think the second reason is culture and morale. Now, we've done 20 acquisitions since IPO. When you're very unique compared to a traditional partnership model, we see ourselves as being very modern, fit for purpose in this world that we live in now, but we're different on purpose. And when you're different, you will get commentary. And I think sometimes external investors, external commentators will see that commentary, but you will get criticism and comments made. But actually, if you to look at how our people feel, and certainly if you go onto LinkedIn and see what they're saying, we have a very high morale. And I say that one of the best evidences of morale isn't sort of get clouded by what people are writing about, but actually just look at attrition. And our attrition is much lower than the industry because we do have high morale. We have a very collaborative team culture and we have a very happy workforce, despite what some commentators might say. And I think the attrition rates prove it. And I say, look to those. So we're back to normal sort of 8, 9, 10% churn now rates, which we regard as very healthy and normal. Going forward, we've also, in this period reporting, we've sought to improve things for our people as much as we can. We survey our people every year and we had strong feedback a year ago about our benefits not being sufficient. So we've worked on our staff benefits substantially and that's certainly been received very well when we've been asking our people recently. We've also been able to, since June 22, so the last 18 months, we've been able to get our people together a lot more. The culture of our business is absolutely fundamentally our priority of that collaboration team working together as one business, one community. That suffered when people were in and out of homes. And we've seen since June 22, a real revival of the culture. And we're seeing that improve all the time. We've got all of our people coming together in seven conferences next week and the week after in January. Those conferences are very important for people to get together to feel what they're part of. So I think the two things there that we've done recently of staff benefits, but getting our people together is only going to continue to fuel low churn. Going on to sort of recruitment, we are seeing an increase in recruitment. And there's a couple of factors here. There's a push away from traditional law in an economic downturn. And we were talking about this 12 years ago when we first acquired Knights, that an economic downturn will put more pressure on the traditional partnership model for equity partners or the generation looking to come into equity partnership. Because to earn a six-figure salary in the regions, they have to put money at risk. The average capital account in the traditional partnership model is circa £230,000. So they put money at risk to earn a higher salary. They can earn that higher salary with us without the financial risk, and they like it. They like the fact that they can earn a good salary, certainly a market salary. We are the highest payers in the tertiary locations. We pay exceptionally well, but people don't have to risk any money to be paid well, and that attracts people. There's a push from traditional partnership model that's starting to increase the momentum. It's been increasing the momentum over the last two decades. This economic turbulence and downturn will increase that momentum. And I think we will be seen as a safe haven by the next generation of equity partners. And that will fuel recruitment. I think the second thing that which will be a pull factor for Knights is our scale. People are starting to now know more about our business and know more about the team culture, the collaboration, that they can come to as risk-free. They can onboard clients. So we are attracting partners from top 20 law firms now more 
because they conceal the scale, means we can service clients. When you look at the lawyer report that comes out in November, you can see now that if you exclude any firms with London or international presence, we are the largest now regional only business in the UK. And that means that people know that we can do all the work that clients require. We've got the A to Z now of a broad and specialist offering to give all corporate clients and private wealth clients. And that is attracting more partners who can bring their client following with them, knowing that we've got all the tax, all the intellectual property, all the specialisms that clients need. So we are seeing more recruitment, and I think that will continue for those two reasons. And we're seeing the pipeline certainly grow as we speak. I'd want to move away from just recruitment and talk briefly about clients. It's the same thing about scale. As we broaden the offering, we're now over a thousand fianas. We've got all the disciplines, particularly tax has been growing for us in recent months. And that means that we can look at larger corporates. And we've dedicated one of our client service directors to look at large corporates and general counsel, which has its own nuance and niche, talking to general counsel who are in-house for large corporates. We're looking at this nationally and internationally. We're in the US now talking to large corporate general counsel. We're in Europe. This is for UK inbound clients coming into the UK who are large corporates. And they like the regional cost base. They like the accessibility partner because our partners are 100% available for clients. They're not in partners meetings trying to manage a business. So they're totally accessible for clients. They like the scale that we've got over 1,000 fianas. The pricing is very competitive when these businesses are used to Magic Circle and city rates and they see our rates and they see how competitive it is for an incredible value offering. So that is now developing and growing and we are seeing client wins from that large corporate client base, both in the UK, but also further afield internationally. We're also looking to talk to the existing 250 clients by the top 250 by revenue. And we've got all the client service directors plus a handful of other partners to really focus on client relationship management much more to the top 250 to broaden and get a bigger share of the wallet from the existing client base. The pricing that Kate's just touched on We've done something last year and we've repeated this year that I think is unique in law. We actually introduced our price increases from 1 May. We introduced that on the 1st of November. So it doesn't come into effect till 1st May, but our 1st May 24 price increase is already being confirmed in all of the engagement letters on the 1st of November last year. That does something that's unique and that's very important. It gets our people used to the increased pricing. The actual challenge when you increase your pricing isn't the clients. You get virtually no client reaction, and particularly when we're so competitive compared to top 50 and city firm. But what you do get is a colleague reaction because they are troubled by having to charge more. They don't want to talk about money with their clients. It's a constant daily coaching exercise. But by having six months notice at higher rates gets them comfortable with it. So we've seen a real benefit from having to bring in price increases six months early. And it means contractually all the clients are on notice. So compliance is very straightforward. Uh, And I've never seen a law firm do that so early in six months ahead. Our increased breadth I've talked about and the national scale I've talked about, but we are seeing momentum in the existing client base and in new clients now that's new to us. It's only been happening over the last 12 months. And I just want to talk briefly about acquisitions. We're very focused still on making acquisitions. It's slowed down over the last year or two. We are, I think, being very patient about acquisitions for a couple of reasons. One is valuation. I think in this period of economic change, we see valuations coming down like they are in every asset class. I think the same is true of law firms. 
And as partnerships feel that financial pressure, there's going to be winners and losers in every segment and every market, and I think there will be in law. There'll be some people feeling pressure in law. We just want to see what happens to valuation. We see valuation softening and coming off. So we've been taking our time. The pipeline is there that we're talking to all the time. So acquisitions definitely feature going forward, but we're being patient for the time being just for that reason. Also, we wanted to focus very much on organic growth, which we talked about in July, and you've seen the early evidence now of what's happening. So we've been really concentrated on the underlying organic growth of the business. But what we have seen with the acquisitions that we've made over the last two years has been a real integration that I think we've got better at it. I think we're more experienced at it. We've got these 14 directors that have all done at least one acquisition integration. And I've just picked on Teesside that we did in November 21. So it's just over two years old now. And what we saw with Teesside, and we've seen this with others, was zero attrition. We've always said plan for 20% fee attrition because of the turbulence of buying a law firm. Uh, you get churn, you get disruption. But with Teesside, we had some disruption, but we were quickly able to get into price uh, enhancements. We were able to coach them quickly on charging properly for their work. They struggle as an independent to be confident about that because they're worried about losing clients and revenue. And we saw zero attrition. You can see there in the numbers in its period that we acquired it, revenue actually went up slightly and then maintained that slight increase for the first full year in FY23. But in its second year that we're just experiencing, second full year, we've seen circa 50% organic growth in Teesside. And the reason for this is this is the benefit of being dominant in a tertiary location up in Teesside, there's nobody else to compete with. There's a lot of inward investment with first freeport status, airport, infrastructure. Uh, there's a lot going into Teesside. And we've been recognized very quickly as being the only top 50 law firm that's really focused on that area with local people, real quality people that we acquired. And the revenues this year, if we try and look forward to 38, will look like they're going to be just shy of 6 million. So we've seen a real benefit from not seeing fee attrition, but also seeing organic growth. And that's what acquisitions give us. And we've seen this now in Newcastle, early days. We only acquired there in June, but we're seeing organic growth. We've hired already six partners into Newcastle. We're seeing the same in Bristol. These are large tertiary locations where there's a significant pool of talent. There isn't that much competition compared to Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds. You don't get many of the top 50 into these locations. And we can go in as that firm, very locally focused regionally, very friendly to a regional market because we are regional and we see great opportunities for further organic growth now in Newcastle and Bristol particularly. And I think Teesside just gives an example and flavour of what we see. I'll summarise now to allow 20 minutes for questions. I think we've clearly, I think, shown the early evidence. It's still modest at 3.3%. I think when you see the headwinds that November, December have clearly given us a good insight into the housing market that looks like the volumes are now returning. They have in November, December. Let's see what happens Jan, Feb, March. But in November, December, we have seen a return on the housing market volumes. We're seeing similar in M&A. It's early signs, but the M&A market looks like it's coming back. And I think various other people would agree with that. So obviously, with those two headwinds that we've clearly talked about, we see then a return to previous organic growth coming. We're confident about that. The diversity I've mentioned to give resilience in economic downturn, we've always believed this is a resilient business, both through its diversity of what we do and also the regional locations that we operate in make it even further resilient in economic <laughs> downturn. I've talked about the recruitment. I've talked about as well doing more for our clients and winning new clients. I think 
to finish here, to summarize, we've got a really strong management team I mentioned at the beginning, and they're also now got a lot of tenure. They're an incredible team helping each other. And I think that gives us real confidence to scale this business going forward, both through organic growth of clients, through recruitment, through more pricing, and then through selected acquisitions, which we will be very selective about because of the valuation and we'll be very choosy. So we're building our confidence now on getting this back to a real sort of strong underlying organic performance accentuated by recruitment and acquisitions going forward. So I'll leave it there and we'll go to questions, please. David, can I ask just about um, the organic growth um, profile, particularly interested in the cross-selling element with the larger companies? Have you got any examples you can sort of give as to where you have one service and now perhaps they're taking a, a second yeah. in that just to sort of bring that to life? Yeah, I'll give, I'll give a couple. So I'll go back right to the beginning when we bought Knights in June 12. So that's sort of 11 and a half years ago. We we saw the largest client then was was a business called Hanson, Mines and Minerals. Um, and so we do all the quarry work in the UK. We've got the largest sort of mines and minerals quarry team in the country, very specialist areas. And uh, we saw the revenues of that client over the first three years, four years, uh, treble. And that's because we started doing commercial work and corporate work and regulatory work and planning for what was originally just real estate quarry work. So we started doing a more a, a full breadth for Hanson. And we've always wanted to replicate that model to large corporates. And with acquisitions, uh, particularly, they give us the opportunity because a small independent doing uh, just, say, real estate. And it's often real estate or employment work that a, a small independent would do for a corporate client. It wouldn't be doing the M&A. It wouldn't be doing the commercial contracts, the intellectual property, because that's considered to be more complex by client. So what we do with a, a client typically would be to take what's a real estate offering and try and broaden it into corporates and commercial and tax and specialist areas. And so I'll pick McDonald's. We, we're doing that with McDonald's. We, we, would, we acquired that business that was acting for McDonald's in, in November 19 in Oxford or Jan 20. And now we've, we've, we've trebled the revenues with McDonald's uh, because we're now doing the corporate M&A work. We're doing the franchising work. It's a franchise model. We're doing all the commercial work around franchising. Uh, we're doing dispute resolution work with them. So we've, we've broadened out, and that's the, that's the plan. It's always to take what tradition, what normally is a real estate client and broadening it into the, the offering. You see, the, we've got 90 M&A lawyers, and that's why we've kept the M&A uh, resource intact, even though it's been you know, significant or 20% off on volume. Um, but we've kept it intact because the independence in the regions, particularly outside Manchester and Leeds, doesn't have the M&A resource that we have. Um, so the fact we've got 90 M&A specialists, 28 partners, really gives us firepower in the regions to do M&A work properly. And, and all those uh, region, 20 tertiary locations have you know, decent deals going on, 50 million pound transactions, sometimes up to 100 million. Well, and we can be there. Some, some examples of that, you know, from surreal banking world that is to, you know, to the M&A that you're seeing, and you mentioned transactions picking up. Again, any examples as to what those types of transactions are um, yeah, useful? So we're, we're very strong in, in sellers. So the, 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 the sale mandates, because you've got a lot of owner-managed businesses, founder businesses, second, third generation businesses, family businesses um, that you know, are looking to realize uh, their exit. This will be particularly important as we come up to um, 
political change and potential CGT changes. You will, we always, I've seen this for the last 30 years, you, when there's a, a threat on CGT, and I think that's very real now, then family uh, and businesses are looking to exit to obviously realize their assets and liquidate it and uh, pay a CGT rate of, say, 10 to 20% at the moment. So that will fuel transactions. So it's a sale selling environment for us that we can really focus on. We do a little bit of PE, we do a little bit of banking, but we're really focused on acting for the owners who are wanting to sell to trade or private equity. And then we, we see that re returning now. Uh, that's been circa 20% off on volume, and we see that really coming back now this year. And that's why we've kept those 90 lawyers very much in place, because you can't get that resource in the regions. And then we apply that resource to large corporates that where we can get a bigger share of the wallet by broadening the offering to them. And then price, you mentioned, um, I think it was 9% headline, headline last, yeah, year. last year, in November, price 7% headline. But you don't, don't just, you can't just um, put that onto the revenue. I wish it was that straightforward. 20%, <laughs> um, possibly 25%, it moves around a little bit. It's fixed price and frameworks and existing contracts. So you just can't then go, there you go, those are other rates. It, it has to find its way into all of our fixed cost price, all our fixed pricing. So McDonald's or Hanson are on retainers and it, they don't just go, oh, that's fine. You have to then bring that into discussion. Um, and all those discussions are happening, happen between Jan and April. We try now, we've got much more focus on our framework agreements and retainer agreements. And we, we're having discussions with all of those uh, clients between Jan and April to try and make first May our fixed price renewal date, um, but that's still work in progress for us. And it, and it, and it means any price increase, that's 7% currently in place contractually on an hourly rate basis with everybody, effective from 1 May, means it'll go into the fixed pricing. Yeah, I would sensitize that down to probably 3 or 4% of, yeah. of pricing growth. Where do you think your price now is compared to your sort of bigger regional players? Are you still, do you think, a little bit below? Yeah, if you compare us to, say, a good segment to look at, and you can look at this in PwC particularly, um, I think did, I think maybe Stiefel did a, a report as well on Top 40, or one of you did a report on Top 40. I think it was Stiefel. Um, you can look at 26 to 50, which is good for us, because we're, we're sitting at 40th and by revenue. Uh, so when we look at 26 to 4 to 50, which is our segment reel, we're in the middle of that segment, uh, we're about 15% lower than the average hourly rate prices of those, of those firms and the recovered rate of those firms. We're still 15% behind. So there's still some catch-up for us, we feel, because I think our quality now and our premium offering is, is definitely on a par with those businesses. But we're taking mindset of regional people and having to move them forward and, and it's a stretch for them and so you, you, it's one you have to take one step at a time with them the challenge for us is always our people not not actually the market because uh, people say well you put your price up percent you're gonna lose clients it's not like that at all it's the it, you, you you've got to you could lose hearts and minds if you stretch them too quickly i mean we take up to a year to move an acquisition on pricing for the first six months we leave them alone just while we're settling trust in and everything and settling everything down then we start to challenge and move forward on organic growth more generally if we go to a more normalized um backdrop say for fy25 fy26 yeah. do you think you could be a by single digit 10 percent organic growth yeah. in business is that sort of this i do yeah feel through pricing will carry on all the time um recruitment i think will will grow from here for the two reasons i've said the push and the pull um 
I think the the scale of our business should mean we do much more in client win and more for clients. And we're seeing the early. This is early signs on more for more of the Wallace and more client win. Um, but I think we you know, we want we're putting more BD into that now because we feel the scale is going to is going to attract. You know, we're in America every month now. Uh, we went in America eighteen months ago. We're in the US every single month now talking to American clients and general counsel particularly and American law firm um, who don't have a UK presence. So we've identified um, at least 30, I think it's now more US firms that don't have a UK presence. That's sort of 100, 100 to 200 in size in America. We're, we're focused on that group to say, when you've got UK inbound, you, know, you can talk to us as an independent, we're not a threat to them in the US. So it's it's all those those things that, and a, a bigger footprint, you know, with 23 sites, as that grows to say 30, that will create the organic opportunities we've seen in Teesside that we're seeing now in Newcastle and Bristol. You know, I think when we report maybe next time, you know, I think we, we might be able to show Newcastle and Bristol in a similar way to how we've shown Teesside. Because when you go in new, we're a breath of fresh air compared to a traditional partnership environment. And Newcastle hasn't really changed for the last 20 or 30 years, law firm-wise. Some of the big ones have gone in and now and have retreated out. We're going to go in and we, we're going to be there to stay because that's we're a regional business. We're more excited about Teesside than we are London. That's not the case with the other top 50 law firms. <laughs> Baines Wilson and St. James's Square, the lock of days have come down really quickly since you acquired those two. How have you managed to achieve that? And then secondly, in private wealth, do you manage any money on behalf of wealthy individuals in that business? We don't, I'll deal with the second one first. We don't deal, we don't manage funds at all. Um, we, our private wealth, when we call it private wealth, is, is focused today on tax and trusts, family investment companies, all of the legal work, James, around inheritance tax planning. Um, we've broadened that to CGT planning now, but that's more towards the corporate clients, but it still relates to in private wealth clients too. So we've got the full tax offering with the, with the lawyers doing all the trusts and family investment company work for, for, for wealthy clients. But we don't manage funds at all. We, we, we recommend fund in, in IFAs, et cetera. Um, the, on the first question, reducing lockup, it, I mean, particularly with those two up in Newcastle and Carlisle, we've got one of our most experienced now client service directors, her name's Lisa, who's a, a real top performer. And it, Lisa sits and lives with those businesses and she's moved them fast because she's just so effective. It's, it goes to that leadership management again. This is all about hearts and minds, giving people the confidence to say to a client, here's your bill and can you please pay it because um, otherwise we won't be able to act for you. And that, that to an independent law firm equity partner you know, is when you first say it, they go, I can't believe you're asking me to say this. But once they've practiced it and they realize that everything's fine, that the client really values the relationship, they, I mean, we have heard often, I wish I, knew, I wished we'd done this when we owned the business. And it comes down to just that mindset shade. And the client, the CSD there, the client service director is very effective. That's the reason why. You mentioned cost savings earlier. Have you quantified? We haven't quantified in total. We're looking for, in total, you know, we're looking at, we've bought sort of some savings within our HR and our compliance costs. We've done that already. We're, that's in terms of our centralization. In terms of where we are going forward, we're constantly looking at, so property 
cost we're looking at those we've done some savings in pi that's more of a percentage of revenue we've kept it sort of at a similar level actually to last year which is a growing business with acquisitions is really good so we think there's good savings to have there but i'm always cautious in terms of forecasts and say let's take that gross that sort of pbte bit to our margin up, up gradually over a period of time and hope that actually we think we'll exceed it but we always want to say we actually always want to be well invested in the business as well so although we are looking centrally to manage costs as tightly as we possibly can it's important to only do that where it's not going to damage the business hence in terms of gross margin we didn't take out any m a stuff or anything like that because we we're looking long term at the business i think if you look at the debt bridge there's several pink boxes there that are, are, are reducing uh, uh the, the sorry the profit bridge the not the bridge. debt bridge if you look at a diluting profit, I think that we've worked on all those. We've worked on some and we are working on certainly property yeah. costs. And it gives some quantities to that, I think. Can you just um, remind me the background to why the churn was above average in the last period and what's yeah. explained um, that moderation and I guess what a, what a reasonable churn to expect going forward is and understanding the reasons why people do leave your business. Really yeah, interesting. Sure. Uh, so ten percent is definitely a reasonable number. We were we were sort of eight percent for some years prior to COVID. The it spiked for two reasons. Uh, to it, it was eighteen percent, which was eleven and seven on the two halves for FY twenty three. And one was uh, very sort of bespoke for us was Leeds was uh, an outlier challenge. But the second cities, Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds, have been tougher for us to break into. The other twenty and the acquisitions going forward will be in all of the tertiary locations um, are easy for us because we don't have the competition. When you've got strong competition, most of the top 50 are in Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds now. Some magic circle are even coming into Manchester. And that gives a lot of alternative for people to, to work in. So your churn goes up because there's more, more, more options available to people. That, that doesn't apply in the tertiary. There's, there's very few options available. Um, so Leeds was um, a challenge um leads didn't work on a cultural fit basis like everything else has so that was an outlier problem to us that, that increased the churn and i think the second thing was just we did enter a real phase of probably 18 months didn't we in job wise where you had a lot of solid inflation particularly in london but it was definitely manchester being leads i don't think that found its way into the tertiary at all to be honest with you tiny so again you didn't have that problem in the tertiary but you did in the secondary that, that really accentuated leads for us so it was the, the job market, particularly in secondary and particularly the leads, that really created a spike for us. And on future acquisitions, you mentioned those would likely be in the tertiary regions, but any particular disciplines that you're looking to bolster? We're always attracted. So it's, it's, it's cultural fit, cultural fit, cultural fit, because you, you're going to take those partners and change their mindset over time. So they, you have to start from a good place. But then you, we're looking also for real estate and corporate. So if you look at Baines Wilson, they were very strong in real estate and corporate. Um, if you look at Newcastle, very strong in real estate, lacked corporate. We've immediately been able to put corporate straight into that together with a real quality commercial and corporate. So we've, we've changed that Newcastle business immediately by giving it firepower. Um, but we're looking at real estate and corporate. They're the kind of, from a commercial to a corporate client, they're your two real spearheads. Behind that sits dispute resolution and employment and tax and other specialisms. But you really you, you get a strong revenue base, repeat a repetitive revenue base from 
real estate and corporate. We particularly see real estate. We've got real estate in all 23 locations. We've got corporate in 18. Um, and then you've got dispute resolution in around about the 18 number. Um, but real estate is the bedrock of regional law, uh, followed with corporate. And then from there, you add the, all the disciplines of dispute res, et cetera. You talk about headcount, David. You put some more senior hires in there. Where have they come from? And what do you think is the, you know, the outlook age two, you know, people prepped to join post-notice periods and things? I think the, the run rate we've said there, of Kate mentioned 35 in the last 12 months. Um, I think you know, we're, we're looking to try and increase the, the recruitment run rates, and we, we're doing that by trying to involve more people. So in the conferences we've got coming up, I mentioned there's seven conferences where all our people come together. I'll be on the stage uh, inviting all of our people to really come on board and help us recruit people that they'd like to work with so that the cultural fit there comes from them thinking this person would really like the collaborative team culture of nights. We incentivize that with uh, payments as well. If we avoid a recruitment fee, we'll pay £10,000 bonus to somebody who's helped us hire a partner. And we, we welcome paying that because that will be uh, the recruitment fee for that person on average will be about £25,000. So we make a £15,000 saving. We should rather pay our colleague £10,000 for the budget. So we've, we've increased that from 2500 and we're we're really sort of wanting to motivate and incentivize people to put calls into people that they perhaps used to work with. So that's how we want to try. We want to try and get more people recruiting at nights, rather than just leaving it to the recruitment directors. Brilliant, who we've got a guy called Tim, who I've known for thirty years. He's been in the business for the last three years as a recruitment director, um, very well liked in the business, and does an incredible job for us. But we've got to now, I think, get more CSDs and more people, more partners involved to really. Brought, it really increases the number. I think we could potentially you know, really add to that number by getting more of us involved, more people involved. They, they come from various places um, that we definitely attract people now from the top 50 and even top 20. We, are, we do get the odd sort of big hitting partner coming into us that we didn't used to get. Uh, we had a guy called Jay Birch join us uh, a year, well, 1st November 22, so 14 months ago. He came from a top 20 law firm with a significant following. And he's very US-focused, uh, corporate M&A partner. Um, but I think most of the people we're hiring are probably more in that 26 to 50 out of the top 50, so kind of peers. And they see a sort of move sideways uh, in size, but hopefully a step up in culture and uh, collaboration and support. Um, and then we also like to recruit from independents. Um, the great thing about if we don't acquire an independent or even those that we're meeting where we can see they have quality people in there, but they, they can't take their business and their client work to the next level because they haven't got the resource. They're great people for us to hire. So it isn't all about re recruiting big hitting top 20 partners at all because culturally they can be challenging. Whereas if we recruit from independents, then they see it as a step up for themselves and they can do more work for their client base. So it comes from all, all sorts, really. Um, we've got a remote question from Nick Lysick at Canaccord. Go ahead, Nick. Yes, I guess sort of touched upon throughout the presentation, but what's your inclination on the leverage? Is it to use the high cash generation to bring it down or uh, sort of maybe push the accelerator and, and look at maybe some larger acquisitions that might come out or, or might come to the market throughout this year? Yeah, I think, um, Nick, we're, we're currently 1.3 times in terms of our bank covenant. We can go up to 2.5 in terms of our appetite for it. 
Um, I think, you know, if we don't do any acquisitions, we'd be looking by the end of this year to be down to sort of one times. Um, if we do do the right acquisition, we, we're sort of comfortable taking it up to potentially around two times on the basis that we are very cash generative. And so that would soon come down to a sort of, um, you know, sort of 1.5 times maximum. So somewhere between one and two is, is where we're comfortable with two being a maximum for a good acquisition that we would see generating cash and bringing that down again. I think just adding to that, Nick, I think yeah. the, the likely acquisitions sort of going forward would, would still be in the sort of five to 10, possibly in the teens. But uh, I think there's, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a fragmented market that we're in that gives us plenty of opportunity and pipeline to do acquisitions. We are getting choosier at the moment because of valuation, I think. The, the year end for most partnerships is March, April. And I think this will be an interesting year end because it's a full distribution model. Equity partners are, are not looking to you know, build in a normal sense like we are, build value in their business. They just want to basically extract every pound they can. And I think now the, the distribution in that equity partnership model is going, to, is going to be under challenge for some of those firms. And that will, I think, help us have conversations in the summer. So we are being pretty patient at the moment about acquisitions. Um, and I think we'll be focused on the sort of core sweet spot of 10 million revenue, which obviously is quite a small percentage of our business now and, and, and quite straightforward for us to integrate in. Um, so I don't, I, I, I agree with Kate on the sort of one to two, but I think it's going to be much more around one, one and a half for the time being, because we are going to be very considered about doing them, um, which is probably music to the investors' ears, because I know that. They, you know, they have a, a different view to debt than, say, you'd see in the private equity world. So, um, but it, it actually does fit with our strategy that at the moment we're, we're being pretty considered and slower in how we want to do them because of the turbulence that we anticipate coming up to the equity partnership model. Thank you for all of those who managed to attend. We very much appreciate it. We're much more into personal attendance these days than Zoom and webinars, but we still know that they're useful tools for us. So. Thank you for making the effort to come in. Hopefully that's given you a good flavour and summary of where we are. Thank you very much. Thanks. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.